Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. Oh yes, ready to spill the seed of liberty just like we do every single week, at least once a week. When, hey, in reality, you know, we're spilling the seed as often as we can. But anyway, the Rembrandt of the podcast canvas here with you, Brian Sovereign, of course, the golden stallion of the tech world, the Stefano Demira of liberty, and the libertine-in-chief. Boy, I mean, they just, they keep coming. And I love... <laughs> I love it. Uh, all, all of you, all my listeners just come up with the absolute best taglines. Uh, I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, and I appreciate all the listeners that have donated to the show so far. Believe me, you can't imagine how much it helps me out uh, to do that. And it helps out the studio, helps out everything. Uh, it's, it's just tremendous. Thank you so much for doing that. And I want to just make a quick announcement that in the show notes, uh, released in this episode show notes, and from now on, we also now accept black coin, which I'm really, really excited about. It's one of the new kind of hundred percent proof of stake, um, uh, you know, altcoins out there. Uh, and this one's actually pretty interesting because I guess coin kite is actually going to, uh, you know, do business with, um, you know, with black coin. And so that's sort of its claim to fame is that it's hundred percent proof of stake and it also will be dealing coin kite will be, you know, integrating it. Uh, so pretty, you know, pretty wild stuff. Um, I really like myself, uh, and I, I guess some kind of a rarity in this. Uh, I, I like proof of stake. I think it's better than proof of work uh, by a long shot. In fact, uh, actually, recently, uh, the genius that is Dan Larimer of BitShares, he came up with uh, with a new uh, version of proof of stake. He's calling it delegated proof of stake, where essentially, you know, you, you kind of, as, as I understand the white paper, and he actually writes white papers where a lot of people, I think, write blog posts. Uh, he actually writes a genuine white paper. Uh, he, you know, he kind of talks about how, how with delegated, meaning that there's delegates and that you can quickly confirm transactions by just going back to the closest delegate. I think that's about how that works, if I understand it correctly. And uh, really excited about that. Again, I'm a huge, huge fan of, of, of proof of stake. I think it, uh, I think it, 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 it's far superior to, to proof of work in a lot of ways. And if you want to know more of my thoughts on that, of course, you can email me. Uh, you know, even Ethereum, when I was at the, the Toronto Bitcoin Expo, uh, phenomenal event, uh, Vitalik, uh, Vitalik, of course, of Ethereum, he said that we, he may use proof of stake for Ethereum. So, you know, that, that's how much that's picking up steam in, in its usage. And, of course, NXT uses it, which I think is uh, fabulous. Uh, but anyway. Let's get into our rapid fire stories. We've got quite a few here to get to. And then we've got, boy, uh, a subject that um, a subject that, that, that I think some might find con- my opinions, and they are just my opinions, to be pretty controversial on. So I want you to, you know, to listen in on that. Anyway, uh, with rapid fire stories, now this is something I talked about last week. I mentioned that I'm a, I'm a bit of a, uh, a dilettante in the matters of cryptozoology. And there was supposedly a picture found in Loch Ness of the actual Loch Ness monster, a satellite photo that may have shown that. Uh, apparently, they, they've kind of cleaned things up 
and they've found the boat like they just they 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 brought up the contrast of the picture and then the boat just suddenly appeared um take that for what you will i don't know maybe there's you know maybe they had to hide nessie and and <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's up to you. Uh, as far as you know, a lot of these creatures with, with cryptozoology, uh, you know, you know, in particular, there was the elephant bird from not that long ago, as in just a couple hundred years ago. There was just this gigantic bird, and when I mean gigantic, I'm talking like you know the six foot, eight foot, you know, just this monstrosis monstrosity of a bird um, in Madagascar that we know existed, but now they're gone. So the idea of these like extremely large creatures that, oh, no, those just couldn't possibly exist. No, they existed up until very, very recently. And maybe some of them, you know, still do. Uh, I mean, you know, there's so much like evidence around the Yeti, uh, you, you know, historically that uh, I, I, I think that it's very plausible that the Yeti actually exists. So anyway, please continue to listen to the show, even if you think what I just said was absolutely nuts. But, uh, you know, I, I like to think I actually do my homework when I believe these things and that I don't, don't just watch a, a documentary on the history channel uh, and then say, Oh yeah, did you know this? No, I, I, like I said, I, I do my homework anyway. So Nessie may have been quote unquote proven to not exist according to those satellite photos uh, from, uh, from a couple weeks ago. Uh, another big news, uh, Vic Guntura, he's, he's essentially leaving uh, Google. Maybe he got shown the door. Who knows? exactly how that worked out because up until a couple of weeks ago he was denying that it was even true um but uh, a lot of people are worried that google plus might be shutting down uh or at least it's going to have some pretty drastic changes i think a lot of people are hoping for drastic changes i might talk about this more next week as more you know information comes out um but i i, I like google plus i sure as hell like it better than i like facebook um but I, what I don't like about Google Plus is really the absolute, the near requirement for you to have it. Because, like, to comment on Blogger, I think to some degree you have to have Google Plus. To comment on YouTube, you have to have Google Plus. And the big one for me is that Android recently, you know, they're, they're stepping up their mobile gaming uh, business. And they to, to have cloud-saved games, essentially, and cloud-saved settings in your Android games... You had to use Google Play Games, the app, and that requires a Google Plus uh, sign-in. And that annoys the hell out of me. Otherwise, you know, quite frankly, I might just delete Google Plus. Uh, the photo options are really great, no doubt about it, but um, I don't know. I, I, I use it. I post on it pretty frequently. I just, it's just one more social media headache I have to deal with. So anyway, but believe me if you if you want to help the show out you can circle me on google plus that helps out a ton even though you know it might be going by the wayside that's up to you to decide on what you want to do about that not that other social media networks are any better we have twitter who is in uh, in turkey has recently been shutting down very politically critical and uh you know uh, hotbed accounts so you know it, <laughs> I mean, I've heard of Google shutting down accounts for, uh, you know, the use of fake names and things like that. And that's, you know, sure, that's bullshit. But uh, I, as far as I know, the Google Plus, no one's ever been shut down for, for anything that they've said. And I've posted myself, I've posted some pretty racy pictures and some pretty racy comments uh, on, on Google Plus. And I've never gotten shut down as to where I've gotten reported a few times on, uh, on Facebook for, for some of the things that I share. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, Twitter, I mean, none, none of these social media networks are perfect. 
you know, they're, they're just, they're not, uh, you know, IRC is about the only place you can really get away with anything. Um, but then, you know, some people would say the limit, limitedness of that and whatever, which I, I don't think it's limited at all. I think IRC is actually still the future. Uh, and actually, well, we might talk about some, some other points of, of future, uh, <laughs> with this in just a minute. Uh, so let's move on with the stories. Uh, but open BSD, the greatest team of coders in the world, in my opinion, anybody that's been in, involved with OpenBSD, because they are such, and I mean this in a nice way, they are such code snobs, okay? Like, they want everything to be perfect, simplistic, elegant. It has to be. Well, fortunately, that attitude is being put towards developing a fork of OpenSSL, and OpenBSD is behind it. Uh, the team there, and I, boy, if you want a real solution to Heartbleed, there's your solution, is getting a real dev team behind it. And, you know, we talked about Heartbleed last week, and I, I neglected to mention, you know, I warned, like, in one of the very first episodes of Sovereign Tech, that OpenSSL is dangerous. Don't use it. And that was about two years ago. I called that shot. I said, this, this is going to be a problem because there's, there's only a couple developers. There's no, there's no real funding behind it. This is a scary thing. And, and a good third, at least of the internet's running on it. Fortunately, as far as we know, only 8% of the internet was affected by Heartbleed. But the bottom line is, is that you can, we can know people talk about these things as being zero day. No, a lot of people, I'm not the only one that knew this, but a lot of people know what things are, 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 concerning disconcerting uh are a problem on the internet and uh you know i i'm just saying i called open ssl two years ago uh but thank you open bsd team i love your os it's the greatest os of all time uh and i i really appreciate you know you guys uh, jumping on that anyway uh google is is uh we, we've talked about this before with nest google finally is starting to sell nest that's the 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 thermostat kind of the wireless controlled internet of things thermostat that you can install in your home selling it for 250 dollars in the play store now and google already admitted that they are selling your usage information to utility companies there you go uh, i think the nest is actually pretty cool technology but Privacy concerns? Yeah, I don't blame you. Um, and uh, one last bit. This is kind of a fun, fun bit of business, and then we're going to get into our main story. Star Wars. They find Disney finally came out and said, "This is what we're going to do about the expanded universe. Expanded universe being all the, uh, you know, all the books and the comics and the games and all that stuff, um, which before were all kind of considered canon before Disney bought them, um, more or less considered canon." And so they released a video that pretty much said, "No, we're not going to pay attention to the expanded universe, except." They said that there's going to be some they're going to release. They're going to call them Star Wars Legends, and those will have some degree of canonicity. So and and there are some hints in the video as to what those might be. Shadows of the Empire being one of them, which was a pick of the week a little while back. Uh, probably my favorite Star Wars uh, story of the bunch because uh, it was sexy Star Wars, you know, uh, heir to the Empire was listed there. There was a, a dark empire was talked about. Doesn't they didn't say those are going to be legends. They just said that those are you know, you know, there are ones they talked about in the video. So I'm assuming that those are ones that they're considering, at least some of them that they're considering to be uh, Star Wars legends. And I hope that's true because some of these stories are really, really timeless and, and great. Uh, but, and also they have, they, they have, you know, new material already coming out. They've got a book, a new book coming out in September. It's going to be a prequel for Star Wars rebels. They've got a couple books coming out, 
uh, which look great. A couple books coming out in early 2015, one of them being Heir to the Jedi, which has Luke Skywalker looking sexy as hell, my personal favorite Star Wars character, on the cover of the book. And take hint to the, the name. It's Heir to the Jedi, Heir to the Empire. Get it? And, uh, and then they have another one called Lords of the Sith, I believe. And, uh, that, you know, that's going to be fantastic. So uh, Disney looks like they're doing a bang up job. Anyway, enough rapid fire stories. Boy, I told you we had a lot to get through. Let's get into our main story for the week. And this is coming from RT. Uh, th- that's where I found out about it, but it's actually coming from a company, uh, Zurich Insurance. Uh, the world, this is called Cybergeddon. Survey warns of internet disruption on scale of 2008 crisis and they're meaning like the the financial crisis the world is on the verge of a cyber shock quote-unquote similar to the 2008 financial crisis a new study says outlining major triggers for potential disruption in urging governments and organizations to learn from the experience gained during the credit crunch. Zurich Insurance has drawn a parallel between the mortgage market problems, which resulted in the global financial crisis seven years ago, and a potential major cloud provider failure, the consequences of which might be just as grave. Just imagine if a major cloud service provider had a Lehman moment, meaning like Lehman Brothers, with everyone's data there on Friday and gone on Monday, like was happening at the banks. The report written by the Swiss Insurance Group in cooperation with the Atlantic Council think tank says, if that failure cascaded to a major logistics provider or company running critical infrastructure, it could magnify a catastrophic ripple running throughout the real economy in ways difficult to understand, model, or predict beforehand. Problems in the U.S. subprime mortgage market in 2008 led to banking crises, which later resulted in global economic downturn. The current interconnected nature of the Internet leads to the increasing danger of cyber risks spurring similar type of scenario. Few people truly understand their own computers or the Internet to the cloud or the cloud to which they connect, just as few truly understood the financial system as a whole or the parts to which they are most directly exposed. Chief Risk Officer at Zurich Insurance, Axel Lehman, isn't that ironic, said in a statement. Uh, The new study says part of the problem in 2008 was that before the credit crunch, risks were assessed by financial institutions individually and urges and urges governments and organizations not to repeat the same mistake when it comes to tackling cyber threats. The study warns people against uh, being misled by the fact that, quote, the Internet has been incredibly resilient and generally safe for the past few decades, with the system getting ever more complex and ever more connected to real life. Bigger shocks to it are unavoidable. A company should no longer focus primarily on its own internal cybersecurity as a threat might be coming from outsourced services it's getting or from its suppliers. Those are on the list of the seven risk pools the study outlines. And there's a PDF that you can link to here. Of course, all links are in the show notes, SovereignTech.com. 740 million data files were potentially exposed or stolen worldwide in 2013, making the year the worst in terms of the Internet security thus far, according to the statistics given by the Online Trust Alliance and cited in the survey, which warns that the situation is only going to become aggravated. While our society's reliance on the Internet grows exponentially, our control of it only grows linearly, limited by outdated government procedures and ineffective governance. I'm going to stop with it right there. And this is actually, I'm sure the solutions that Zurich insurance are looking for to solve this, this possible problem. And I'm not trying to fear monger here. 
Okay. These are, this is for me, this is confirming a lot of thoughts that I've already had and I've kind of hinted at throughout sovereign tech. Um, but this is the last quote is great. Our society's reliance on the internet grows exponentially and our control of it only grows linearly limited by outdated government procedures and ineffective governance. Absolutely. Government is the problem, not the solution. I don't think they're catching that, but their statement says it in itself, whether they realize it or not. Government is the problem, not the solution. Okay. Government is what's keeping things from being more secure. Government is what's keeping things so perhaps so centralized. I wonder, um, I, you know, I, I, this is a concern. I mean, you have, you have not, okay. Drop, say Dropbox goes down, may not affect you a whole hell of a lot. Right. But what if your bank or what if your, what if some company you were working with was outsourcing their, you know, their cloud to Dropbox, which is very popular or same with uh, box, the company box, they do the same thing. They're working heavily with enterprise systems and that goes down. Then there's this just nasty chain reaction where, you know, suddenly a whole ton of services go down. And even though you didn't think you were using it directly, the interconnectedness of the internet within its very nature just affected you and you may, your, you know, your business may completely fall apart. Uh, this is a pretty serious, you know, concern and the interconnectedness of, of, of everything and the, and the reliance upon the internet may be a concern as well. I mean, you know, people, people aren't thinking about this in this way. And I'm very concerned And the article rightly brought it up where you get a lot of people and I've heard some very trusted names in the cryptocurrency space, in the security space, who said, look, the Internet's so resilient, it's just going to keep on going. You can't take it down. People talk that same way about Bitcoin, right? No. Never, ever fall for that line of thinking. It's a, it's a veritable miracle that the Internet got as big as it did. And it may be an even greater miracle that it can survive in its present form. Um, I mean, and, and in fact, you know, let's, we talk about all the security issues and we're going to talk some more during hacker stories. We're going to talk about some crazy stuff going on with net neutrality and all that. We talk about all these things. We talk about how, you know, Facebook's taking all your data. We talk about, you know, how the NSA is watching everything. Part of what allows for that is the centralized nature of all these systems. It is that interconnectedness. Now, you can say that that interconnectedness is essentially what, uh, you know, what what has set the world so free recently is because of, the, you know, the free stream of of information. Uh, and there may be some legit legitimacy to that to that idea. But, you know, I, I got to wonder, I felt very, very connected. I mean, this is like, OK, let's let's take voting. Let, let's pretend you're a minarchist, okay? And you think that political action works, all right? I would say that it doesn't. But let's say you thought that, okay? What would, what's the first thing you say to people generally? You say, yeah, no, voting federally, trying to get like a president just doesn't work. You got to vote local. You got to vote like in New Hampshire. Okay, politics doesn't work anywhere else, but apparently it works in New Hampshire. Whatever, okay? Um, <laughs> let's say that that were true. 
then the internet actually slaps that entire notion in the face and says that that's a lie and says that, no, you can actually change, you know, the federal government. I swear, no, you know what? I think I would think farmer. I would agree that this localization of action, if the importance of the internet, and that's what the end of the day, what a lot of people say, the importance of the internet is in its, you know, it's, it's, it's creation and allowance for activism and education it doing on such a mass scale would be a problem. And that maybe we need to relocalize the internet. Now, I know this is controversial, and I could be wrong. I may change my mind. But right now, the solution I'm seeing to so many things... Uh, now made safe. Okay. We've talked about made safe a million times. Had, had David Irvine on, uh, just a fantastic guy. I love this guy. And I love what made safe is trying to do huge supporter of made safe and congratulations to them for doing a successful funding. Um, made safe kind of solves this where it's, it's this decentralization within the centralized, uh, you know, nodes within, within the, 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 you know, information super highway. It creates this decentralized system. And maybe, you know, maybe that will be the solution. But I want to, you know, mention Plan B, as in BBS. Now, you may not know what a BBS is. A BBS is a bulletin board system. Okay. And please hit up Wikipedia and read up about BBSs. This was the internet before the internet. And it grew, and there were tons of these things, and it was totally localized. And you know what? When I was a kid using a BBS, I still, I played, I played games on the BBS. Uh, now, yes, no, we don't want to go back to the fucking speeds of the BBS. I know that, duh. Okay. But I'm just saying with our, with our modern technology, perhaps going to a decentralized internet, as in like there's certain, there's cells of internet, you know, pockets of internet all over the place. And then maybe some of those could kind of interconnect with each other to some degree, but that there was a guaranteed, you know, this, this server over here and this server over here, you know, runs this and runs that to have this, to have a completely local, you know, going local. Okay. Going back to the BBS system, I think would be a great thing. This is actually something that was tested out at Keenvention last year, 2013 at Keenvention. They, they set up a sent there, you know, Johnson, uh, the, the, talk about another genius, the genius that is Johnson was trying to set up, um, uh, a, like a little keen internet essentially with, you know, with a pirate box. And I think this is, this is really key. This is where if we want to get away from panopticon, okay. If you want to get away from where the NSA or governments or whatever can see everything that's going on, if you don't believe that complete 100% transparency, which some have suggested, Okay, is is the answer that privacy is some kind of right? Again, I don't necessarily believe in rights, but if privacy is some kind of right, I think either made safe or going back to a you know neo BBSs, as in new types of BBSs, is really the way to go. If you have questions about that, you can shoot me an email, sovereigntech at riseup.net. But I, I think this I there's people who don't think you don't want to decentralize all the things. I disagree. I say, yeah, let's decentralize everything. And that makes instant redundancy and honestly, privacy. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. Hey, look! Got an energy 
spike. Launch. Bombing the Narn back to the Stone Age wasn't enough for you? Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is madness! Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. The time is coming gone! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall. Where dreams are born and die. Where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Tech Roulette. Want to play? It is time for Tech Roulette, and oh yes, I always want to play. Uh, Tech Roulette is, of course, where stories get sent to me by listeners of the show and friends of the show and friends, and uh, you know, and I, I discuss them. I, I do eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and I choose one, and, and I run with it, and, and I discuss them. And of course, you can get in touch with me through Twitter, Google+, um, Facebook, if you happen to be a Facebook friend, I hate using Facebook. You can even get in touch with me. You know, this is beautiful. I got a listener email through Instagram. I love Instagram. I'm actually going to be creating a blog. I'm going to call it the Sovereign Sidechain, I think. It was originally going to be called Sovereign Extended, but um, but I, I think I'm going to run with the, the, the Sovereign Sidechain. And that's going to be on Instagram. Of course, Instagram, you don't have to have an account to look at content on Instagram. So, you know, you, you can check it out. Uh, but anyway. Um, you know, I, I just I want to I want to touch a little bit more uh, on the previous topic that 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 we discussed about, you know, going back to, to BBSs and all that. Again, please. I'm very interested in hearing your thoughts on that. You can get in touch with me, um, you know, but I, I think that this is something that's that's going to happen anyway, uh, that you're essentially going to have. With the with the Internet, if people are genuinely concerned and wanting to, I mean, maybe we can come up with these anonymizing technologies that, uh, you know, and like just building an anonymity into the software. Now, this is very possible. This is kind of happening that, you know, we can keep the interconnectedness and just have everything be completely anonymous. That might that that may be how this goes. But I'm starting to feel that that I think a lot of the attitude that that some of the like the really the really crazy people, not the crazy people, but the, the people that uh, that think well outside of the box are thinking, no, maybe we had it right in the 90s in that the interconnectedness was in itself decentralized and that we'll have the, you know, the Internet equivalent of eco villages. Uh, and so and I'm intrigued by that. I'm, I'm not opposed to this idea, though. I am open to having my mind changed about it. Anyway, um <laughs> Let's, uh, you know, because I'm just sure somebody's going to email and say, well, you wouldn't be able to get your show out to a bunch of people if, if there wasn't a, uh, you know, a, an, an Internet that's interconnected to everybody. Uh, no, I, I, I disagree with that, that, you know, radio existed beforehand. And uh, frankly, there, there'd be ways to get it out. So and I, I wouldn't mind running a pirate radio station. You know, I used to real quick before we get into this story, which is a pretty interesting, very, maybe I'm going to get a little conspiratorial on you, but real quick, you know, I used to out of the back of, I, I had a Ford expedition that I came to New Hampshire in and I had, I had an FM transmitter 
pretty powerful one um, that I had in the back of it. And I would actually go to the McDonald's in Keene, okay, because there wasn't really a, a Liberty radio station going. And every Friday night when my personal favorite podcast uh, was on, Pork Therapy by the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy, I used to air it right in the middle of Keene. Out of the back of my out of the back of my truck, and of course connected to the to the internet from McDonald's. That's why I was that's why I was there. So you know you can get the message out there. You don't have to have the internet for your content to spread, okay? Or you don't have to have the the hyper interconnected internet. Is my point. Anyway, um, this story is pretty interesting. Let's get right into the tech roulette here. And this uh, this actually comes from Daryl Perry of F, uh, FPP.cc. Uh, just a tremendous activist. And you're going to wonder what the hell is this all about? But you got to bear with me here. And I'm going to discuss something uh, pretty, pretty interesting. And it's about silent motorcycles. Okay. Yeah. Like, like motorcycles. Now, I mean, I've talked about cars before on Sovereign Tech. And so maybe this, uh, maybe this isn't too, too out of place in that regard. And I like motorcycles. Uh, I, I really do. Actually, I, I used to love, I had a Honda CB 360 T that was just a, uh, just a joy. Um, but anyway, this is a, a hell of an article <laughs> and it's from wired and it's a uh, silent hybrid motorcycles. The Pentagon will use for stealth raids. Special forces teams are all about silently penetrating remote areas and executing complex Lightning fast raids. Now DARPA is developing a new vehicle to soundlessly race commandos to their missions. Stealthy hybrid powered motorcycles. The idea is to develop a hybrid power system that relies on both electric and gas power, allowing special ops to go off road and zip past enemy forces with the silence of an electric engine, while also being able to handle extended missions in higher speeds with a supplemental gas tank. And you know, I don't really have to read much more of the article. Of course, the article's in the show notes, SovereignTech.com, and you can check that out. Um, I was in the military. I cannot begin to tell you how useful something like this would be. This is not, this is not government largesse being like, oh, cool, let's have silent motorcycles. No, this is actually a genuinely great for what it is. It's not, you know, militaries aren't great. Armies aren't great. Wars aren't great. But this is a great idea for an army is to have something, you know, that that can do exactly what this, you know, have an enduro, essentially, you know, a dirt bike of sorts that can go, you know, street and dirt. Um, that's that's an enduro and, ha you know, have one of these things. Uh, and I guess, you know, they're cheap too, right? Motorcycles are inexpensive to produce, uh, you know, and so you'd have that even with the hybrid engine. And just have this ability to get in and get out, have it be a super quiet motorcycle and go. Uh, in fact, if you've ever, you know, we, we talk games on this show. And if you ever played Command and Conquer Generals, you'll know that when you played the, you know, essentially the terrorists in the game, they had one of their one of their initial, you know, infantry units that you could get in the game were motorcycle riders. And anybody that's played that and did some actual strategy, I've done this. You know, if you got like 40 of those things, you know, 30, 40 of those motorcycles, you could zip around and pretty much take out anything at any base in a heartbeat. Okay. 
So even in wargaming, this is a good idea. And I can tell you in real life, it'd be a good idea. Now, what's what's interesting about this? Not, uh, yeah, I mean, that's cool that they're, you know, electric motorcycles and, you know, hybrid motorcycles. Sure, that's that's cool. It's not cool that it's for the military. That's cool. But what's the point here? Well, I want I want to tell you the point. I'm going to switch gears on you. And I'm going to tell you about a movie that I find I enjoy this film. Okay. I enjoy this film greatly. I've enjoyed it since I was a child. Uh, it is a movie that came out in 1982. So when I was born in 1981, so I caught it on video. I remember going to, uh, the, the grocery store, great American and renting this film. Um, and I want to tell you about this movie because this movie is creepily predictive. Now we've talked about in, in some early episodes of sovereign tech, we talked about predictive programming where essentially the idea is, is that, uh, you know, the gov- governments or whatever will make movies that show off technologies that they're actually developing and plans that they actually have in mind. And they will put it in the movies that way you as the populace as the masses, when these things are introduced into reality, not in the movie, but into reality, you accept them as, Oh yeah, it's just like in that movie. And you consider it normal as to where maybe it should disturb you. And I said that, no, I don't really think that that happens, but here's maybe the one film where I go, maybe, maybe they did. And the movie is Megaforce, all one word. And maybe there's a collective laugh. If any of my listeners know what this movie is, uh, it's a movie had, I mean, actually it had a pretty great cast had Edward Mulher, from uh from Knight Rider fame had uh, Barry Bostwick, Persis Kambada, the only other movie I really know her from other than Star Trek the Motion Picture, my favorite Star Trek movie, uh had um had Henry Silva from from Buck Rogers who played Kane. Love that guy. And he's hilarious in this movie. And it is it's it's a tongue-in-cheek film all about this super secret organization uh you know that that works for a group called uh, uh Scuff uh, like, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, it's totally over the top, totally geared towards children. There's motorcycles in it. Uh, you, you know, like the super secret group that that's like this, you know, cross international group that, uh, that handles all the biggest, uh, biggest problems in the world, kind of like a GI Joe type thing. And they have all these really like far out technologies, like they can create holograms, um, and, you know, all, all this wild stuff. But one of the things they have in it is what's called the Delta MK4, the Delta Mark IV Mega Fighter. And it's a motorcycle that, guess what? Goes silent. It goes completely silent. And it's their primary vehicle because it gets them in and out really, really fast. Has missile launchers on it and, and like guns, you know, all, all this stuff is, uh, Actually, it was kind of copied in the, the, the Chuck Norris films, Delta Force, if you remember those. So, but anyway, but it, it had that. Now, that's just one thing. And it made me think of it. As soon as Daryl shared the story with me, I just instantly thought Megaforce because of the silent motorcycles. I'm like, wait a minute. That's not a new idea. Um, then you had <laughs> uh, just all, all this wild stuff. You You had... This is the, the the really interesting part is that when they're in the Megaforce base and this general played by Edward Mulher is getting introduced to technologies, um, you know, that that they have that they can access, that, that they have the ability to use. OK, they they show him this 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 huge computer 
And they're like, yeah, no, we can listen into, you know, he gives just to prove how how extensive the information is that Megaforce has on everybody on planet Earth. He gives a full dossier, a full rundown on the life of the, you know, of, of the general that's standing there right down to what he eats, tells him everything. Amazing, right? Kind of sounds like Google or what, like Google's data abilities anyway. Then they listen to a phone call from a, a politician in China. And it's just, you, you got to check it out. If you can find the movie, you're, you're going to have to torrent it. I don't think it ever got released on DVD. It's just really like obscure kind of film, even though anybody that was sort of around at the time probably saw it and somewhat remembers it. In fact, I think even South Park did a, did a, did a sketch on it, uh, you know, or, a, you know, a, a mockery of it because <laughs> it's, uh, you know, again, if you were there, this is a film that, that you remember, but there just a whole slew of technologies in this film that, uh, that, that really, you know, they, they seem to constantly be coming into fruition and they didn't exist at the time. Now, of course we can say, Hey, maybe, you know, maybe this, maybe what they did is, is that DARPA actually saw this movie somehow, maybe a month ago (laughs) and said, Hey, that's a pretty cool idea. Let's start building that. You know, which is it? You know, is is it, I'm and I'm open actually to, to either one. I don't mean to be completely conspiratorial on you, uh, but I mean, you know, you, you you look at the like there there's tons of tons of technologies in this. There's uh, like the the silencing. Uh, there's like a radar that that makes like everything silent in it. Uh, that's very similar to actual weapons that exist now, to where like you you can you can mute a crowd in crowd control. Uh, the army has that technology now. This isn't like super secret stuff. This is this is these are things that are that are out there. Um, now, fortunately, in Megaforce, also the uh, the the Delta Mark IV Megafighter can actually fly. That's like the big experimental thing. So I don't see that happening. <laughs> We're not going to have flying motorcycles. Uh, of course, thanks to the government, maybe we'd have them if there wasn't a government. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, that's not happening. So, but but a lot of these things, even like the the camouflage, there there's a camouflage on these vehicles. That actually is like it's as black as you can get and you just you can't see the thing uh, at night. And so and that's interesting because recently they just developed the blackest material ever out of some kind of, you know, some degree of carbon nanotubes. So I, I want you to check out this film because it's amazing. And, and I, I'm, I'm sure I'm just, you know, because I didn't go back and rewatch it. Uh, you know, before I did the segment, but I wanted to talk about it. But but if you can find this film, check it out, because it, I think you'll be pretty shocked at just how much in it now, 30, you know, 30 some odd years later, finally actually exists. And where did it come from? You know, did the military, were they involved in, in the movie or, you know, did they just copy it? Yeah, I mean, these things, you know, some people say like because I worry because some people, you know, a lot of a lot of your, you know, your 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 more deadened, um, you know, mentally dull uh, Americans in particular will say it's like, oh, I can't believe this back in my day. You know, no one would have ever even thought of doing this. Uh, No, they did think of it, (laughs) you know, and and 
you know, is this the case where, where science fiction became science fact? Yeah, maybe, because I've said in the past that, you know, science fiction is actually a terrible predictor. And I agree with that statement that science fiction actually kind of is a terrible predictor of the future. And so that's why I, I, I do wonder, you know, if predictive programming exists, maybe is this is this a case of that? I don't know. So but also, you know, if quite a few episodes back, I did a two parter where I broke right into, you know, is the main story and it was tech roulette because there's so much to cover. But all the things, especially in the 80s, that that the U.S. government was developing um, that, again, we're also just now starting to see, uh, you know, you know, come into come into fruition. So none of none of this stuff is is really that, you know, it's, it's not really that new. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, maybe that's. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, is that is that disconcerting to you? I, I'd love I'd absolutely love to hear your thoughts on this. Um, but, you know, the, the main key with a lot of these things is this interconnectedness and this. Uh, OK, someone called into Free Talk Live uh, quite a few weeks back onto the Sunday show, which, of course, I'm on with uh, the lovely and hyper intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and uh, Mark Edge. And he said that the Internet was that the government, when they released the Internet, essentially, because the Internet was originally a government project. It was designed for uh, it was designed to be a communication medium that would survive a nuclear attack. Okay, Um, he said that or his claim, and I don't have any data to, you know, to back this claim up. And I disagreed with him. His claim was that the Internet was released by the government, full well knowing that it would create this interconnected panopticon, quote unquote, uh, you know, and, and that it would l- allow them for greater control. Now, I still I don't think the government's that's, you know, that smart. <laughs> OK, because, I mean, this this stuff's been being planned since the 60s. And to think that far ahead uh, is, I, I think, you know, pretty crazy as to where maybe I could see them thinking, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ahead of time. Um But, you know, it does it raises the question in that, you know, like I mentioned in the first segment, should we be going towards, you know, completely decentralized Internet like MadeSafe, maybe or maybe all the way where we're going back to BBS systems, because that wouldn't allow for this kind of thing. No, I don't know. I mean, it's tough because you can't help. But at times when you keep reading, you know, the more and more Snowden revelations that come out and all this stuff, you just you almost you want to become a Luddite. okay? but we don't have to be. I think I think the answer to a lot of these problems have already come and gone. All right. And I mean, like, well, what's the answer to silent motorcycles? Well, we got to end governments that way armies go away and that, you know, that solves that problem. That's that's really the you know, the only answer to that. Uh, (laughs) But, you, you know, with with. The other abilities that I mentioned that were in the Megaforce film. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, maybe decentralization all the way is, is the only thing, you know, that, that that one can do unless and I'm open to exploring this in future episodes of Sovereign Tech, unless we went for a completely transparent society like David Brin talks about. I don't know. So you tell me, do you think this stuff's been in the works for a long time? I'd love, I'll do a whole tech roulette of listener emails about that if you want to. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech.
Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. The walk of shame is different for men than women. For most guys, it means going back to your friends at the bar after being rejected by a woman. However, because women tend to dress up when going out at night, the walk of shame often means leaving early in the a.m. wearing heels, a short dress or sparkly top with messed up hair and smeared makeup. The woman is a walking advertisement for the casual sex she was having the night before. One would hope a woman would smile and high-five her way home the next morning, just like guys do. But sexism persists. As for preparations for the morning after, any male or female who has to go to work needs to be concerned about what his or her employer will see and smell. One male, who likes to party but also values his job, says that he sets the alarm on his cell phone before he heads out the night before. That way, he's sure he'll have time in the morning to go home or go to the gym to shower and shave. Or you can stop by a Walmart and buy deodorant, a razor, a new shirt, and wipes to clean up with. Now, women can keep a change of clothes in their car or carry a purse that's big enough to keep what's needed to look okay the next day. And if you're in a jam, you might send an SOS text to a friend or a roommate. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. Software of the Week. It is time for Software of the Week, where we cover software that, uh, you know, I consider useful. Sometimes it's something that's uh, that's terrible. Um, but generally, I like to keep it as something useful. And I've gotten a lot of requests recently for uh, and the irony of this, after we've just been talking about so much decentralization and going local and getting away from cloud storage, uh, <laughs> uh, I get a lot of requests for, you know, Chromebook uh, reviews of apps that you can use for a Chromebook or, you know, or for Chrome in general, whatever. Um, and this week I've kind of got this. This is sort of a dual device matter. Um, and it's the Chrome remote desktop. Now, the reason I'm doing it for Software of the Week this week is because it actually recently just came out for Android. This already existed on pretty much any computer you have that you have the Chrome web browser installed on. Okay, um, but now it also works on Android. So what this is, is it's literally what it says, a remote desktop. And so if you have Chrome on a computer, you can share that computer and then... Like from my Chromebook, okay, my C720, my Acer C720, I can actually access my big MSI GT660R laptop from anywhere, and I can control it from my C720. Now, this is really cool because, you know, a lot of people talk about the limited abilities of Chromebooks. Well, guess what? I just suddenly had the entire power of, you know, uh, of a very powerful laptop, um, you know, at my disposal, as long as I have an internet connection, of course, Okay. Um, and so now, now with Android, you can do it with Android too. Like I can do it from my phone. I will admit the caveat because this is so simple to set up. Like, I mean, this is literally as easy as it gets. There's not a whole lot of, you know, features involved because there's, there's other, uh, VNC there, there's, there's some other remote desktop, uh, options out there. Uh, team viewer, which I've actually done, uh, for software of the week in the past that have a lot of options built into them. You know, this does not have any options, but at the same time, all you have to do is install Chrome, which pretty much every computer has Chrome on it anyway. So, you know, it's very, very easy to use. And so if you're looking to try this out and use this ability, I think this is the way to go. Um, 
And so, you know, now it exists for Android, so I can control this stuff from my phone. The only caveat that I was going to mention is that it at the moment, while from my Chromebook, I can access my laptop. I can't from my Android phone, which can also access my big MSI laptop. I can't access my Chromebook from my phone because this ability does not yet, you know, the ability to remote desktop to not from, but to, to where I can control the Chromebook remotely does not yet exist on Chromebook. Kind of a weird thing. I got to admit that, that, you know, Chromebook, if it's Chrome, (laughs) you know, if this is just Chrome on steroids, the fact that it doesn't have such a popular feature of Chrome is, is, I, I agree. It's a genuine oddity. Uh, it doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, you know, when that changes, I will be I'll make sure it's announced in rapid fire stories because I will be happy to be able to access my Chromebook, you know, from my phone or, uh, you know, even from my laptop. Um, in fact, I you know, I wonder, like, what is the purpose behind that? I do. I do question whether or not it is a security thing, um, because, you know, but I mean, granted, that goes both ways. I don't know. I mean, the, the whole reason that I love Chromebooks has nothing to do with the cloud abilities, nothing to do with any of that stuff, okay? Uh, it has to do with the security of it, that it's practically, and I say practically because at Pono own this year, uh, 2014, apparently there was kind of a, a partial crack of Chrome, okay, uh, that, that someone pulled off. So they didn't get the full reward because it was just sort of a partial, it, it, it's a complicated story, Um but, uh, you know, but the beauty is, is that up until then, and obviously I'm certain, you know, very quickly after Chromebooks are, you know, invulnerable. You, you can't you, you just can't get into them. Some people talk about the password system being a problem. Um, I don't know of that really being an issue, at least certainly not when you go to a black hat DEF CON conference or to chaos or something. Uh, I think whenever you attend those Chromebooks about the best thing you could possibly have to keep you from getting put onto the. Uh, you know, the, the, the wall of shame to get, <laughs> to get you put up with the sheep. Uh, so anyway, check it out. It's great that it's out for Android. Makes it really, really simple to, to have this device interconnectability if you're into that. And maybe you are. Of course, like I said earlier, maybe we should get away from that. I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> anyway, I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. from Big Finish Productions. Blake 7, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Ker-Avon. Ker-Avon. Our hostage arrives, which you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com. It is time for listener emails, and whoa boy, the emails 
that I'm going to get for this episode. I can I can just already I can I can hear the the clicks <laughs> through my uh, my spy device that turns on microphones or that yeah that 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 turns on the uh, the microphones on all the all the smartphones around that that can actually listen in on PGP keys and all. It, no, that was fixed. Uh, and <laughs> I don't have that ability. Um, anyway, the, uh, the, the, I can really can though. I can feel all the emails coming in. I'm going to make them a lot worse. If you thought I was nuts before, you're going to hear some really, really nutty shit. Uh, <laughs> but hey, I'm answering questions that I get asked about. <laughs> so take it easy. Okay. Uh, and I'm, and I, unlike many, uh, unlike some other podcasters out there, am always open to being absolutely dead wrong, and I readily admit to it uh, in a heartbeat. And, and I and I enjoy my critics um, as to where other people like to continually uh, berate their critics. Anyway, um, this is this story, or not the story. I'm going to be reading from a story in Gizmodo to answer this question because there's been. In the past, in, in April, the past month, there's been a bit of a UFO problem. That's right. Unidentified flying objects in Texas and in Kansas. And a listener was wondering, Brian Sovereign, what do you think of this? Aliens? <laughs> and of course, uh, the listener obviously uh, listens to the show quite a bit because he knows that um, I don't think that aliens have ever visited planet earth ever. Um, and that actually, I think that that life complex life, animal life in the universe is incredibly scarce, incredibly scarce. Uh, as in like, we might be the only ones and I'm an atheist. Gotta, gotta caveat all this shit because it's certain things you say. Suddenly people are like, what are you a creationist? Anyway, so we have this odd triangular shaped UFO that was photographed in Texas and was also uh, photographed later in Wichita in Kansas. And the, the shots taken of it in Wichita were a lot clearer. And so clear, you know, I, and photographers, professionals have looked at this. There's something there. This is not some kind of hoax. This is, there is a literally, you know, some kind of flying triangle and part of the problem with this thing is, is that it definitely, it doesn't match and, and you can look at it. And if you know anything about, uh, you know, bombers, you know, stealth bombers and all that, they have a pretty much, they have a, a very much wider, uh, wing gate that, uh, you know, that then this has, so it's not, it's not a stealth bomber, but a lot of people are guessing that this thing is some kind of stealth fighter, some kind of new one. Uh, there's talk about the RQ-180, okay, uh, that I think Lockheed is working on. It's kind of, it's actually not even a bomber. It's a stealth drone, which is kind of plausible because it it apparently did some really impossible 180 turns, like just think, you know, and and. The reason that I, that I say that it's impossible, I mean, granted, yes, you have G forces that would seem to make it pretty impossible. Um, but you know, can humans like actually handle that kind of flight pattern again, due to the G forces, whatever, without blacking out, you know, the pilots. Uh, so is it a drone? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I'm open, you know, I've actually, this is something I've thought since really I was a teenager. Um, 
most of the UFO sightings, okay, uh, you know, any of the ones that are legit, and I'm, I'm, I'm certain that there's plenty of them that are totally legit where people took pictures of or video or whatever of things that, uh, you know, that are not in, you know, that are not known that are, <laughs> that are unidentified literally as in, you know, it's not an SR 71. It's not a, you know, it's not an F one, one seven a, uh, it's literally something unknown. Um, I've always felt that they were government projects never, ever did it cross my mind that these things were somehow alien ships stealing cows, you know, from, uh, from, from, from barnyards. Okay. <laughs> so my opinion on, on it with this one I don't know if it's the RQ-180. It's possible. Okay. They, they have a, a, a good matching shape really. Um, but I, I mean, that's just, it. it's just that, no, it's, it's not aliens. I'm pretty sure it's some kind of government project as far as the 180 capabilities that it did. Uh, Hey, I don't know, you know, <laughs> maybe they perfected the, the, the mercury based engine, right? I, <laughs> I, 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 I can't, you know, answer that. Um, but it's important. And, and this has kind of been a running theme in the show of, you know, technologies that, that have been in development for a long time that you don't find out about until sometimes 20 years, 30 years later. Uh, you know, the SR 71, the Blackbird, which is pretty pop, you know, a lot of people know that, that plane, um, super plane, really, you know, I mean, that was made in the sixties. Yet, I don't think it was officially announced of existing until like 1981. And then, ironically enough, in 1981 is when they were putting the finishing touches on the F-117A that I mentioned earlier. The stealth fighter, not the stealth bomber, but the stealth fighter. Okay, which is still, you know, one of the most advanced airplanes out there. But the F-117A wasn't officially disclosed as existing until, you know, 10, 11 years later. Okay. So, you know, to say that, that again, this is an aliens. Okay. But could there be some like really, really advanced technological airplane that has been developed by militaries around the world? Absolutely. Uh, even, even to this day, uh, I mean, granted, like, you know, there was, cause all they have to do is just say, Oh, I don't know what it is. It's not like, because people had gotten photographic, ev photographic evidence of the F one, one, seven, a, in the eighties when it was never officially disclosed that it even existed. Okay. Um, and you know, but, but that's, that's just, it is the government just said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what the hell that is. And that's all they say. And that's all they have to say. It doesn't matter. Okay. So, you know, maybe this, maybe that's all this is. So my guess is, is that it probably is the RQ 180 and it is, I, well, this part isn't a guess by the laws of physics. It's not aliens. Okay. <laughs> Unless, there were aliens on Mars or something, but let's shift gears. I mentioned earlier, okay, that, um, and if, if you have more questions about my thoughts on UFO or like specific UFO cases, you can of course email me sovereigntechariseup.net or get in touch with me through Twitter, uh, you know, Google plus wherever. And of course, Instagram, which is where this next question comes from. And the person asked me to actually talk more about, he said, a uh, huge fan of the show. And he wanted me to talk more about um, the he said, clearly, I believe that while there weren't aliens, that there are ancient civilizations, human civilizations that may have existed before some cataclysm. OK, and uh, he wanted me to, you know, to elaborate some more on that. And I, I am, you know, 
happy to do so because I talked about it a bit in episode 69 when I had the, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy on. I talked about it during that. And uh, amazingly, my, my, you know, my listen numbers, my download numbers have actually only gone up uh, and they have not gone down. Now, that does not mean because I'm talking about ancient human civilizations that that's an exciting topic for everybody and they want to, uh, you know, and they want me to talk more about it. Uh, that does not mean that. Okay, but what it means to me is that even when I talk about some really, really crazy stuff that's not backed up by a whole lot of evidence, um, people will continue to listen and enjoy the show. So and I'm glad for that. I'm glad to have a very open minded audience. So, yeah, I I will talk about it more. Um, And, you know, I already talked about in episode 69 about how archaeologists will just straight up lie. So I don't want to go back into that. Okay. Um, but I will talk about, and I might've mentioned some of these things, uh, you know, in, in that episode, but I, I want to re rehash some of this in that we did have a cataclysmic event that occurred, um, in relatively recent history, as in when there were humans. Okay. Uh, or, you know, some degree of humans that we know of, um, you know, it was called the Toba supervolcano. I've brought it up many times because I think it's pretty key to, to, uh, history as we don't know it. And this is a volcano that wrecked and ransacked a pretty good hunk of the earth about, uh, about 70,000 years ago. And the guesses is, are that, you know, it brought down the human population to anywhere from 1500 to 5,000, you know, maybe a little bit up from there, but anyway, it brought down the human population quite a bit. And this was so cataclysmic. Um, that, that really, it is something that I think could have destroyed, you know, uh, any kind of civilizations that were existing at the time. And it was effective for so long, you know, around the earth that I also think it would have been long enough to where people would have forgotten what it was like to, you know, uh, you know, what it was like living in those civilizations. So, that that's that's really kind of kind of the key point here. Um, as far as people that talk about this sort of thing, not a whole lot of people do. And that's the unfortunate thing is that most of the evidence that you can get to make the case that there were human civilizations before the wall of history come from uh, people that think it, that it was aliens. And so it's very difficult to get somebody that that thinks that it might have actually been just ancient humans and not um you know, and, and, and not aliens. Uh, one example of a person though, that, that will kind of hint at that is a guy named Philip Coppins, who unfortunately died, I think December 2013 or 2012. Sadly, I don't recall, but anyway, he was, he was on ancient aliens a lot and he was, he's kind of a rogue thinker, really smart guy. He, uh, you know, in, <laughs> in normal archeological circles, he's considered nuts. And in the ancient alien archeological circles, he's considered, uh, tame. Like, you know, he's, he doesn't go all the way like some of them do. Uh, he's, so he's a pretty logical guy and he made cases for the idea that, uh, that there may have been like, like homes may have been biodegradable. That's part of the reason we don't see these things anymore. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I will say this in that, you have, and, and I'm, I'm just pure speculation on my part, total 100% speculation I'm about to lay out with you, okay? 
Um, you, you have this thing that we've developed called uh, plastic. Okay. <laughs> and plastic itself, you know, not, not it, it's sturdy for what it is, but over time it's not so sturdy, right? Um, like you're not going to find, you know, hunks of plastic thousands of years later. Okay. Um, and so plastic, you know, it, in it, picture our world where everything's going cloud-based right now. Okay. Uh, and what if all of our knowledge was put into a central server and believe me, Google would love this and they'd love to be that central server, right? Say all of human knowledge is put into a central server and everything you accessed, all of, you know, like there wouldn't be libraries, there wouldn't be all this stuff, all the data that you accessed, a lot of the tools that you used, uh, you know, data tools and all this stuff was all being done on a smartphone. If you had a super volcano go off and destroy that central server, okay, um, you know, and, and all you had were a bunch of plastic devices and all this stuff. Uh, even, you know, I mean, a lot of people are making these, you know, shovels now that are, or, you know, make whatever kind of tools they make out of plastics that are uh, often tougher than some metals. Um, and, you know, tougher now, not to say that over time they, they wouldn't be, you know, so, so durable. Um, that essentially, you know, a lot of the stuff would to some degree, maybe, maybe not biodegrade, but would degrade. Uh, and or, you know, would be would be kind of missing. And so you could actually my point is, is that with centralization and with an ancient human civilization, that if just the right amount of events happened. That you could lose everything that a civilization knows. And so I wonder if that's that's just a theory. It's one of many that I have. Um, it's not one that I've ever read or seen discussed. Uh, you know, there's, and, and part of that comes from that. There is the, the tower of Enoch, not the tower of Babel, but the tower of Enoch that is described in, um, in some Enochian texts that actually Enoch, who is a person, kind of a great grandparent to Noah. Okay. Um, that in, in, you know, for the, God told Enoch the flood was coming. This is, you know, of course, how it's being written down. God told Enoch the flood is coming and he needs to build something to save all the secrets um, of, 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 you know, the antediluvian world. And the antediluvian world is a short term for the, you know, the world before the flood. And make no mistake, I believe a f some kind of flood occurred. There's just too much. Uh, there, there's too many people writing about a flood to think that it didn't necessarily happen. So. Anyway, uh, you know, he has to make this box that that survives this flood, this this black box. And I and, and I when I read that, I can't help. Of course, I'm projecting my modern day mind onto it. OK, but I can't help but think of that, that that maybe that was some kind of server. And maybe that server didn't survive or maybe it did. And we just don't have access to it you know, as, as the, you know, the bulk of humanity or whatever. I know I, I'm getting, we're, we're going far out here. Okay. We're having fun. This is not, please don't take me seriously. I am not the kind of person that would say, well, you don't believe that there's ancient human civilizations. Don't you come in my house, motherfucker. You know, I'm, I'm not that kind of, I'm not that kind of person. Okay. We're just, we're having fun and we're exploring far out ideas. Okay. So I, I think there's cases to be made. There's also, of course, uh, you know, Plato's Republic, uh, which, uh, Manly P. Hall 
If you're not aware who he is, he was a pretty prominent Freemason. I'm not getting into Freemasons, rule the world, blah, blah, blah. I'm not talking about that shit. Okay. Um, Manly P. Hall talked about how, you know, Plato was really re- like Plato's Republic was a reiteration of what the ancients, okay, uh, knew of to be good governance and how a society should be. I don't agree with Plato's Republic because I'm an anarchist and I don't think that there should be higher ups. Okay. But you have, you have that reference to where there were humans who knew a way of how to do things. And Manly P. Hall was never talking about aliens. Okay. Um, and then you also, uh, you have, uh, uh, Hassad, the Greek who's known as the first economist who talked about the golden age of humanity where there was plenty and people just kind of relaxed. Uh, and, and if you read these things, it's very tough to describe them all inside of 10 minutes, but when you read these things, there's just this constant narrative that at one point it does sound like humans were more advanced at some point. And so I, I use that as my evidence too, but there's really, I wish, I think, I think perhaps the, the question asker was like, you know, is there someone, is there a resource that you can go to, to, to put all this together? No, not really. Maybe I'm the one that needs to write it. I don't know. Uh, but I think there's a lot of data to think about it. Hey, Brian, what's that funny sticker over your laptop webcam? I was trying to spy on you while you were in the shower, but now I can't. See, that's why I have it. And it's from EFF.org. EFF, what's that? It's the Electronic Frontier Foundation, totally donor-funded organization that fights for internet freedom, privacy. Wow, that sounds great. So EFF.org, I support internet freedom and privacy, and maybe you do too. Yeah, and you can support them with Bitcoin. The Electronic Frontier Foundation at EFF.org. Brian, stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom. Game Talk. It is time for Game Talk, where we talk video games. And like I said last week, Game Talk is a segment of the show that will be going by the wayside. Um, I'm, I'm admittedly, I'm up to debate on whether or not I'm just going to add extra time to each segment or maybe to the first segment so I can do more rapid fire stories and then I can do a main story better. Um, or if I'm just going to shorten the show, because I have had a lot of, or I have had a few people say that, uh, that they felt like maybe the show was a little too long. So that is coming by episode 75, uh, that there will be no more game talk. And, uh, and also I am actually going to be redoing intros, whole, whole bunch of the, the show is going to sound same, you know, same relative content, but the show is going to sound a whole lot different. So, uh, you know, new and new ads and, and all that stuff. Um, anyway, with, let's let's get into game talk. Uh, and before I get into the main story, I wanted to talk about with game talk. This is amazing. I just found out about this. Uh, like this is literally as I'm recording it that this is getting reported. <laughs> and it's ET. Speaking of aliens, ET found in New Mexico landfill. What the hell? And this is absolutely true, but it's not what you think because we're in game talk. Okay, and what it is, there's this very old story. Okay, uh, kind of an urban legend that the worst game of all time, which value subjective, sure, but pretty much everybody agrees that that e- the game E.T., the extraterrestrial for the Atari 2600 is the worst of all time. Uh, it's a game that there's like it makes no sense. The controls are just crazy, uh, but they made so many because E.T. was such a big freaking deal. You know, I mean, for a while, you know, E.T. before Titanic came out in the, in the late 90s. 
Um, E.T. was the biggest movie of all time, beat out Star Wars. Uh, and, uh, fortunately Star Wars eventually at one point reclaimed the throne. Now I don't think anybody even cares about uh, top grossing films of all time. Uh, but anyway, of course, you know, everybody likes to say, well, considering inflation, uh, gone with the wind is still the biggest of all time. All right, whatever. I don't care. Anyway, the game ET, the extraterrestrial for the Atari 2600, there was kind of an urban legend that in New Mexico or somewhere there they they literally took you know thousands and thousands of copies or or millions of them actually millions of et cartridges were dumped into a landfill because the you know you had the video game crash of 1984 and this game was just so bad nobody was buying it and son of a bitch it's true <laughs> it's it's absolutely you know n- nobody could ever prove it no one could ever really confirm it it was just kind of all hearsay going back and forth but just just recently in let's see it's in it's in uh, uh alamogordo new mexico they found all <laughs> they they found them all they, they found millions of copies of of the worst game of of all time uh so it's, it's just it's it's a funny story you know i mean that that uh, sometimes, and, and I, and you know what else? I like this because sometimes these urban legends actually do turn out to be pretty true. And I think that's fun. That adds a, a little spice to life, you know, uh, that, that sometimes I think the, the, the skeptics, you know, Oh no, no, there's no evidence. There's no evidence. And then just out of nowhere, suddenly, Holy shit, it's true. Uh, <laughs> you know, so that's fantastic. And of course, one of the lines from uh, the story that I, that I read it from, um, E.T. has has found home <laughs> uh, anyway, or they found E.T.'s home, I should say. Uh, very, very clever. Um, and and just, uh, you know, it, again, it's it's cool. Um, so but my main story this week is actually uh, this week, I think, marking on April 21st, 1989 was the birth of the Game Boy, the Nintendo Game Boy. And uh, this is a remarkable thing to really talk about. And I'm going to read a little bit here from the Newegg blog. Uh, the Game Boy setup was simple. Up, down, left, right, A, B, start, select, and a 2.6-inch olive green screen. When it launched in Japan on April 21st, 1989, at the price of 1,200 yen, or $121 USD, uh, it immediately sold out of its first batch of 300,000 units. The Game Boy was an instant hit. By the time the Game Boy launched in America th- three months later, Nintendo had secured the rights to a falling object game. Nintendo bundled the addictive Tetris and went on to sell thir- over 30 million units of the bundle pack. Just like Japan, the Game Boy was an overnight sensation uh, in the United States and would eventually go on to dominate the handheld video gaming market. As the years passed, other handheld gaming consoles entered the industry, but none could compare with the Game Boy's popularity. Despite not being as technologically advanced as the Sega Game Gear, Atari Lynx, or Turbo Express, boy, those are all beautiful, uh, Nintendo was able to sell 119 million Game Boy units around the world. If you were a gamer in the 90s, you probably owned a Game Boy. Uh, I certainly have owned many of them. I also own those other systems, too. But anyway, (laughs) the Game Boy was created by uh, Gunpei Yokai, uh, a longtime Nintendo employee who is credited with inventing the D-pad. That's that cross up, down, left, right. Uh, 
on nearly all video game controllers. He based the Game Boy's design on the Game & Watch series, which was the first Nintendo product to have any success. His ability to create a simple design that mimicked the gameplay of a, tr- of a traditional console is one of the greatest feats in gaming history. The specs on the Game Boy were not impressive. It had only 8 kilobytes of RAM. And the <laughs> 8 kilobytes, not even megabytes, forget gigabytes and terabytes, not even megabytes, 8 kilobytes. And the LCD display had a 160 by 144 resolution. You know, what, what does the average phone have now? 1920 by 1080 P by 1080, right? <laughs> what made it so successful was the game selection with over 716 game titles to choose from. No other handheld console even came close. Different variations of the game boy would be released in sub- subsequent years, but none could match the charm of the original design, uh, the original design, the game boy pocket game boy light and game boy color were all worthy successors, but it's the first generation of game boys that were revolutionary. Game link made it possible to enter to tether your game boy with up to three friends and allowed Pokemon to bring role-playing games to the masses. Boy, do I remember that? Uh, it was may 1997. I want to say, or maybe 96, I think it was 97 and Game Boy came out and oh, hell yeah, we were linking Game Boys. All right. And it's amazing. It was still being played on the original Game Boy, you know, no color and Pokemon red and blue came out and it was huge. Uh, I mean, that's, that's amazing. That's almost, it's close enough to being a decade later, right? I mean, it's like, you know, six, six seven years later from its release, almost 10 years later. Uh, and it's still, you know, this, this, this hot product that being the Game Boy. Uh, millions of people embraced the cabling technology and game link proved that a portable system could be much more than just a diversion from your console games like double dragon and WWF superstars would never be the same again because of the game boys success. The handheld video gaming market is able to compete against traditional consoles today. The game boys most recent successor, the Nintendo DS is the second best selling console of all time and has sold 154 million units just 3 million shy of the Sony PlayStation 2. That's amazing. The PlayStation 2 is often, these days, is widely regarded as, you know, some people lay it out as being the greatest system of all time, the most popular system of all time. I think the Wii actually might beat its numbers. But anyway, looking back 25 years later, it's safe to say the Game Boy not only changed the way I played video games, it changed the way I think about them. I vividly remember tethering my Game Boy with 15 people one day after school as we played Faceball 2000 in the recess yard. I was only 10 years old at the time, but I knew what what we were doing was groundbreaking. I didn't quite understand why until 10 years later when I was playing Halo and thought to myself, I've been here before. Anyway, the link for that's in the show notes, and there's a really fun uh, Game Boy um, uh, YouTube, uh, or not, it's it's on YouTube, but a, a fun uh, old commercial from 1980 to, 1989 for the Game Boy. And I love talking about this because this was so huge. You know, there's things that really change the way we do business. And I think that the Game Boy and the iPod are two of the, not, not even so much the computer, but the Game Boy and the iPod, the amalgamation of these two devices is what brought on the mar- the modern smartphone era that we live in. Okay. Yes. Smartphones, you know, the iPhone kind of came out of nowhere with a lot of its abilities. We've talked about that before. Okay. But in a very real sense, I think it's the Game Boy and the iPod that said, no, people want devices that they can carry with them. Um, and this is very important in, in America. Okay. Because, you know, in America, you know, the home is the castle, right? 
And so, you know, you, you wanted to appeal, you know, what a lot of people thought at the time was that, you know, people, you know, they want to sit down and relax and enjoy. They don't take the stuff with them. And uh, that has just been, you know, totally shown to be the, the exact opposite. And we have the Game Boy to thank for a lot of that. And I mean, it's amazing. And the Game Boy was so forward thinking and Nintendo as always was so forward thinking in everything they did. I mean, this is multiplayer capabilities in your pocket. That's just now becoming a big deal on smartphones, right? Uh, the, you know, so you had that interconnectability that they, that they came up with, with that. Uh, and then the backwards compatibility, you could play seriously, you could play Game Boy games all the way up into the Game Boy Advanced, which came out, you know, like, like late nineties, early aughts. Okay. You could still, I mean, as newer versions of, of the Game Boy Advance came out, they eliminated that ability, but you could still play all those games. The Game Boy ended up, I think is still on the record as having the largest video game library in history. Okay. Uh, when you include the Game Boy Advance and then the Nintendo DS, you know, just, just obviously took it to its heights. Uh, in fact, even the DS, you know, the original version of the DS before the DSI came out. And of course, before the three DS, uh, was backwards compatible to the Game Boy Advance. This is a smart move on Nintendo's part because they're essentially locking in the previous, you know, your, your previous game collection at all times. Eventually they eliminate the, the ability to use that, but they want to make sure when they come out with a new system that you don't want to just trash all your games. They still want you to be able to enjoy your games, but use the new product. This is genius. Not a lot of people think that this backwards compatibility compatibility thing is important, but it really is, especially in an emerging market or not an emerging market, but with an emerging product uh, that it first comes out with. And yeah. And the other key thing with the game boy that it totally proved because the links, the Atari links was blows away the game boy, but it proved you have to have great games. It doesn't have to be graphically impressive. You don't have to have the highest tech. You have to have great games. Let's see if Android pulls that off. Tonight, Knight Rider crashes into your living room. I don't believe this. Well, you'd better believe it. A lone crusader for justice drives this crime crasher. The world's most fantastic car. And together they can do just about anything. After all, we're only human. Don't press your luck. And now, buckle up for action with the fastest show on television, Knight Rider. See Knight Rider online today. And now back to Sovereign Tech. Wow. It's a website of the week. It is time for website of the week where I cover a website that I consider useful uh, or, you know, sometimes it's terrible. Sometimes it's something funny. Uh, sometimes it's something sad, but, <laughs> uh, or sometimes there's a, there's a bit of a line blur between app and website, especially today with so many cloud services and things like that. Um, and this week I kind of have a double header though. Actually, I'm telling you about one that I don't recommend using. And then one that I totally recommend using. And it's a rehash of one I've talked about in the past, but, uh, this is a great solution for Chromebooks along with other things. Uh, so I, I, I'm going to lay these out another one and this got a ton of press and I'm actually very disconcerted at how much press that it got. Uh, and that is grams G R a M S. And this is a search engine for Tor for the dark web. Okay. Uh, it only works on Tor. That's important to keep in mind. Um, 
And this is, you know, like calling it grams is obviously in reference to the fact that, okay, this will be the easy way for you to buy drugs. Um, and I'm not opposed to that. I don't care. You know, I mean, people want to, you know, they want to do drugs. I'm an anarchist. I don't believe in, you know, or I don't believe in uh, uh, criminalizing things. Right. So grams is this new search engine for Tor. And here's my concern. Okay. Is that there was already a search engine for Tor. Why is this getting all this press? Uh, and the search engine that already existed for Tor was DuckDuckGo, which I recommend to anybody, whether you're using Tor or not. I think DuckDuckGo is the best, the single best search engine on the planet. So I do, you know, I, I've heard some people say this, that Grams is, uh, is a honeypot. And, you know, of course, they'll say, well, there's anonymizing technologies built in it. Of course, it's Tor itself. So it's anonymizing, blah, 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 blah. But you don't need it. You just, you don't, you don't need it. Um, there's DuckDuckGo. So I put the, the onion link, which is how you get to websites on tour, uh, in the show notes for grams. So it's there, but I also put in the link for DuckDuckGo. Um, and I totally recommend using DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo will search tour on any, pretty much any device you have, uh, though there is a caveat, but it will, you know, there's a great app for Android for DuckDuckGo. Okay. Uh, that will connect not with KitKat, but, um, with any other Android device, it will very easily connect to Tor via Orbot, okay? And you can search that, and it has like a built-in web browser and everything really, really slick. Uh, one of the best apps for Android, hands down, is the DuckDuckGo app. Um, and again, it searches Tor, okay? Uh, now, the solution that I talked about in the caveat, of course, is that it's very difficult. I've pulled this off in the past, and I haven't been able to do it recently. I actually, I, I tethered, I ran Orbot, Okay, which is the tour would enable us tour on an Android device on my phone. And then I tethered my phone to my Chromebook. Okay. And I wanted to see if I could, you know, if I could use it to access tour websites. And I was able to a few months ago. Now I can no longer do that. When I have tour running and I have the transparent proxy, I can't do that anymore. So you know, using Tor on a Chromebook is, is a bit of a problem. Just letting you know that, of course, you could use something like SafePlug, hook that up to your router, and then you shouldn't have any issue using Tor uh, with a Chromebook. But anyway, DuckDuckGo, it does a great job of searching the dark web already. It does an even better job of searching the regular web. It uses Bing as its back, uh, as its back end, and it does, a, you know, it has bangs and, you know, all these great commands and everything. Really, really slick. Totally cares about your privacy. But the real, the real interesting thing with, that I want to mention with DuckDuckGo, if you're on a Chromebook, if you're concerned about how, the, how Google literally records everything that gets put into the Omni bar, the address bar, there's an app for Chrome that will allow you to search from the app and you never have to put anything into the address bar. Hey, everybody. It's Stephanie. I am the Sovereign Tech producer. But did you know I am also a voiceover artist? Yes, it's true. I make audiobooks, commercials for your business. I narrate explainer videos. Pretty much any audio project that you can think of, I'm probably willing to work on it, or I have worked on it in the past. And if you want to hear some samples of my previous work, or you want to find out a little bit more about what I do, then I encourage you to check out my voiceover website, which is smvoice.info, smvoice.info. Now back to Sovereign Tech. Hacker Stories. 
It is time for Hacker Stories, where we talk about some of the real heroes on planet Earth, that being hackers, black hat, white hat, gray hat, love them all, gotta catch them all, Pokemon. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, or we talk about security issues, and this week I'm going to talk about a security issue, uh, quite a few of them actually, and it's... It, there was a, a a bit of a story earlier this week where it was said that essentially the FCC did a reversal on net neutrality. And so the FCC was saying, you know, no, you can't do this multi-tiered Internet where there's, you know, uh, you have essentially a, you know, one one tier. You have this really high speed and you have access to premium services like Netflix or whatever. Um, and so, you know, so so there that they they kind of shot down that ability okay um and but now apparently they did a reversal of course now they're claiming that they didn't actually do a reversal and so there's this huge huge headache going around um, about what is the future of the internet oh my god we don't know what to do how come the politicians aren't solving anything blah 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 of course it's because the politicians can't solve anything um in fact really like you know, all this stuff, SOPA, PIPA, uh, you know, and, and, and net neutrality, go down the, the, the whole fucking list of all these things that people have done, all these, you know, uh, you know, all these these online campaigns about lights out or, you know, change your change, put this image over your uh, your profile pic on Facebook and and uh, and, and Twitter, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, we got to stop net or we you know, we got to make got to make net neutrality happen or we got blah, whatever. Whether the FCC actually did this or not, and you're taking their word over someone over independent researchers, I'll go with the independent researchers or journalists. How's all that political action working out for you right now? Do you feel like it solved anything? Do you feel like you put a stop to the man? No, you didn't stop anything. Delayed it? Yeah, maybe. It's frustrating, I know. Um, I used to, you know, be very, very politically involved, even in New York. Uh, you know, I used to go to the town hall meetings. I did all the good things that a nice minarchist is supposed to do. You know, yay, politics, woo, work within the system. And, you know, I came to the same realization that so many other anarchists do is that, well, it's all worthless. They're just going to do what they want anyway. You know, even if there's a critical mass. And I think it's fair to say that there was a critical mass on the internet about what to do about these things. Okay. You know, with net neutrality and whatever, and uh, the governments and corporations are just running roughshod. They don't care. Okay. They don't care. And anything you try to do on that end of working within the system, trust me, it's not going to work. They're going to get their way. All right. Anyway, uh, what's going on in Brazil right now or there over this week was a Netman dial where essentially there was, you know, they were trying to have a global conference about, uh, you know, we got to keep the, the, the internet needs to be free of regulation and free of governance, blah, 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 one more blah, 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 blah. It was pretty much a bunch of politicians standing around, you know, jerking themselves off and, you know, puffing their chests and, you know, rubbing themselves and everything. It was a, it was a joke. 
because the FCC is going to do what it wants. Okay? The government is going to do whatever government, the most powerful man in the room, whatever, is going to do what it wants. I mean, picture this. This is like in, in, in you, ever, you ever watch a security council or not a security council meeting, but just you ever watch a UN meeting and you see like that guy from Uruguay talk like somehow what he has to say means a damn to anybody. It doesn't matter. It's all it's it's all pomp and circumstance. It's, it's all a joke. These people will do whatever they want. The best thing that you can do with your time is completely just, just, just skirt right around them or just go right through them. Do not waste the time even talking to them. There's no point. They don't care. They're not interested in your philosophy. They're not interested in the laws of economics. Politics. This is, you know, I think this, I think the statement's true. Politics is showbiz for ugly people. And showbiz is all about celebrity to them by and large. So they're just interested in being celebrities. Okay. And it's unfortunate because even at Netmundial, like I guess WikiLeaks and I, and I read this WikiLeaks sent a, sent a statement, a kind of a Magna Carta uh, of some kind to the internet saying, okay, this is what we want out of this. This is what we want. And if, if I was WikiLeaks, I'd be like, eh, who cares? You know, see the jokesters for the pranksters for what they are. That being the politicians. Fortunately, one of the companies that is going to be affected by net neutrality. And again, that's totally tied in with Netmundial and all that stuff. Um, or the lack thereof of net neutrality. Right. And that's, I, I heard a, a reporter say that the, that the phrase net neutrality sucks. And I agree. It's not descriptive of what's going on at all anyway, but one company that is going to, that, that is just going right around everybody is Netflix. And this is often the case that's brought up. You know, this is why we can't, people won't have access to, to Netflix or they're going to have to pay a premium price to get access to Netflix. If the corporations get their way and the government doesn't stop them. Well, Netflix doesn't care. So uh, this is a story from Ars Technica and uh, BitTorrent. Netflix should defeat ISPs by switching to peer to peer. Decentralized technology could bring equality back to the web, CEO says. And uh, I'll read a little bit of this story. BitTorrent Inc. CEO Eric Klinker claims that peer-to-peer -peer architecture can re-architecture the web for equality, and he urged Netflix to try it out. The FCC is on track to endorse pay-for-play arrangements in which web services like video streaming and VoIP could uh, pay ISPs for a faster path to consumers than other services receive. This is by its very definition discrimination, Clinker wrote in a blog post yesterday. But what if the web worked differently, Clinker writes? Many smart researchers are already thinking about this problem. Broadly speaking, this reimagined Internet is often called content-centric networking. The closest working example we have to a, to a content-centric network today is BitTorrent. What if heavy bandwidth users, say Netflix, for example, 
worked more like BitTorrent. If they did, each stream, each piece of content would have a unique address and would be streamed peer to peer. That means that Netflix traffic would no longer be coming from one or two places that are easy to block. Instead, it would be coming from everywhere all at once from addresses that were not easily identified as Netflix addresses from addresses all across the internet to the ISP. They are simply zeros and ones all equal bingo. (laughs) This is what we've been talking about. The whole episode is this idea of figuring out ways we can go to extremes like BBSs, or, you know, we can go to other alternatives, peer to peer technologies, made safe, BitTorrent, whatever. This is fantastic. This is exactly what they need to be doing. And so this story was actually written a few days ago and they updated it just yesterday to say update. It turns out Netflix is researching peer to peer architecture. So that's my point is that Netflix is like, yeah, oh, we're already on top of it. We thought about it. And I mean, I'm glad Clinker brought it up and I'm glad Clinker lent out his support. He you know, has quite the voice, particularly in peer to peer technologies, but in the Internet in general. Um, and, and and this is it. You know, everybody is seeing that you've got to in some way decentralize things. Now, peer to peer can still kind of, you know, be be a problem. It depends on how that's implemented. Uh, I've said this before, how Bitcoin in and of itself is distributed. And there needs to be a clear discussion about this, that there's a difference between a distributed technology and a decentralized technology. Decentralized means that its existence in a whole in whole is nowhere. Okay. Uh, like you, you just, you know, it's the many headed Hydra. Okay. As to where distributed means that a bunch of people have access to the whole or have a complete copy of the whole, you know, of the whole data set, like all the Netflix movies and TV shows and whatever else. So Netflix is looking into this good for them. And I, and I, I wish them the best because Netflix has disturbed, has, uh, you know, what, what's, uh, (laughs) what's the phrase, uh, disruptive technology. Netflix is one of those disruptive technologies where they eliminated blockbuster. They took out tons of mom and pop stores. A lot of people get mad about that, but come on, come on. If you're getting a better deal, if you're getting a better service, if you don't have to, you know, hop in the car and drive somewhere, especially in the middle of winter or something like that, you're telling me that's not superior it's okay. You know, I, I'd like, I used to like going to those rental stores too, but it's, it's just as well that, that, that they're gone. Uh, Netflix has totally changed the game, uh, and they are eliminating the, the ugly monstrosity that is network television. Uh, and I, and I think that's, I think that's really fantastic. I don't care much for their, the original content that they've come out with so far, but a lot of people love it and good for them. I'm, I'm glad you're, you know, enjoying yourself. But that's not the point. The point is, is that, you know, these these kind of it's amazing that even our entertainment now could possibly become uh, distributed or decentralized. However, it ends up shaking out with the peer with the peer to peer technology that Netflix is presently looking into. Moral of the story, if if a big company like Netflix isn't interested in working within the system anymore and is just going to create technologies and means within which to completely circumvent, you know, to, or to completely, you know, avoid, uh, the system. Why won't you? It's over. Okay. I mean, and, and, and the politics, you know, the, the governments of the world, Leviathan, it's falling on its own weight. It doesn't know what to do. It can't react fast enough to everything that's going out there. doesn't matter what technologies the NSA has. Okay. 
They don't have the manpower to research it all. They can't look at it all. And frankly, they can't think the same way we do. They can't because we're trying to solve problems and they're just trying to maintain, maintain, maintain. And the people that are trying to solve the problems, guess what? Since that's all they're doing is just trying to solve the problem by developing something new, they're going to bring on that new. And then Leviathan means nothing. I'll be back with more. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Would you like to play a game? Game of the Week. It is time for Game of the Week, where we talk video games. And boy, have I got a doozy this week. And I, I just want to reiterate again, like I said, we are going to be eliminating game talk. We are not eliminating game of the week. I am not going to be, I game of the week is kind of what I always wanted, you know, game talk to be anyway. Uh, and so this will stay. And, uh, I actually, it was really cool. I got a great, I was on free talk live Sunday night and someone called in. It's like, man, I was just listening to your show and you, your last game of the week was, uh, was mega man three and it was four twenty. And I said, you know, I'm just going to light up and I'm going to play this game. And I thought that was so cool. I was like, yeah, go for it, man. You know, <laughs> uh, cause they're, they're, they're fun. Uh, they, they, they really, really are. Um, and the game I'm going to talk about this week is another classic, another, another old, older game. Um, and it was in the arcade, but the way I played it mainly was on super Nintendo and it's called Knights of the round. Uh, and obviously you can guess from the name, it's a game about King Arthur. And what this was, it, it was in the, in the nineties in the early nineties, you had in the mid nineties, you had these really popular, uh, side scrolling beat up games. They called them where, you know, it was again, side scrolling and you could move to some degree. It wasn't three dimensional, but you could move to some degree back and forth within the, you know, the, the various, the screen and the screen was moving cause it's side scrolling. So the side is scrolling, uh, and you know, you could, uh, you could move within that and they were great multiplayer games. And that's why they were actually so popular is because, uh, like Ninja Turtles, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game, not for the NES, but the one that was in arcades was one of these. Uh, and you know, you could play one of the four turtles and go to town, you know, and your buddies could be there and, uh, you know, you all start in the arcade anyway, you start popping in the quarters and whatever. And this was really with Knights of the Round, uh, this was oddly a, th- a three player. It was pretty weird. You had three characters you could choose from. You had uh, Percival, Lancelot, and of course, King Arthur. Um, and in that, you know, it was the, really the first one that I felt that came to consoles that actually worked just as well, if not better than its arcade sibling. Um, and sometimes that happens in games like, uh, like soul caliber was better on dreamcast and it was actually better graphics than it was in, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in the arcades, oddly enough, anyway, nights of the round, I thought was way better at home. Uh, and it's just, it's a game you could, you can still pick up and play right now. The graphics aren't atrocious for what they are. Uh, 
And, you know, it feels by and large very much like any other side scroller beat em up. The nice thing with Knights of the Round was round, though, was that it had power ups and like uh, King Arthur would, you know, as you got power ups throughout the game, King Arthur's armor would, uh, you know, you'd get more armor. His sword would get, uh, you know, would get bigger. Uh, and like, even it would change color. Eventually he'd have like this gold armor that just looked awesome. Uh, and you had, and it had like the three different types, like, uh, you know, Lancelot was the really fast character, really fast fighter. Uh, Percival was the really strong character, you know, that, that with the swing of his ax could, you know, take out another character pretty fast. And Arthur of course was in between. So you're able to choose a different style of player within that, which is really cool. Uh, sometimes games like to put in that dynamic. This is one of the ones that did it really, really well. Uh, and it's it's not a terribly long game. Uh, you know, if you go through it, you know, straightforward with without losing a whole lot in the way of lives, uh, I think you can be done, you know, inside of uh, probably inside of a couple hours, you know, but uh, but. The game is challenging, and so it can end up actually taking you most of the day, if not longer. Um, but the whole point is multiplayer. Okay, and it's multiplayer, and this I like, though certainly with a lot of uh, Super Nintendo emulators, you can, you can mimic this uh, over the internet. But the nice thing is, is to have someone actually sitting there with you and reacting to the game together, actually sitting human to human right next to each other and having a great time. And boy, did I love doing that, playing Knights of the Round. Uh, just a, just a tremendous, all, all those kinds of the, the, this, a lot of, a lot of my favorite games throughout, you know, my video game playing history, my favorites have always been these side scrolling beat em ups, uh, which is kind of a, it's a style of game that, that, that's gone by the wayside recently, or maybe not so recently, but for a while, unfortunately, but there's been some great ones, uh, Captain America and the Avengers. I actually got to play vision who is probably might be one of my favorite Marvel characters, if not my favorite Marvel character. Uh, there was uh, aliens versus predator, not the, not the, not the first person shooter, but the side scroller beat him up. One of the best of all time. I love that game, but anyway, Knights of the round, great effort. If you've got a super Nintendo emulator, crank it up. Uh, or if you have main, you can do it on main too. And, uh, just, just a, just a fun, fun game and invite some people over and have some, uh, gluten-free pizza or something. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. Do you have a business or product that you are interested in getting advertised to a largely U.S.-based audience on an award-winning podcast and radio show airing on hundreds of radio stations? Let Free Talk Live be a part of your advertising portfolio, because the world of audio never fades. Contact me, Brian Sovereign, and I can get an advertising package that will work within your budget. Email me at brian at freetalklive.com. And that's Brian with an I. Again, brian at freetalklive.com. Hey, what are you doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. <laughs> it's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well, then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the week. It is time for Pick of the Week, where I get to geek out and talk about whatever I want to talk about. Though, boy, it seems like I've really... Uh, 
been talking about whatever I want to talk about uh, throughout this whole episode. So I, I hope, you know, believe me, uh, normally Sovereign Tech is not as far out and crazy, perhaps, as this episode was. Uh, got a lot of great response from episode 70, people saying that my my assessment of Amazon was uh, was spot on. Uh, and uh, yeah, and, and, I, and I think so, too. Uh, and I didn't even get to everything that Amazon was doing. They bought out Comixology, which is a really popular um, you know, comic book resource, uh, you know, to, to read comics online that works with DC and all of that. Um, and they, they even like, they're pretty much coming up with their own FedEx service. They've got the delivery drones. I mean, there's so many things I didn't even talk about with that, that I, that I could have. Um, anyway, uh, thank you for that. So, but this, you know, with, with pick of the week, I can talk about pretty much anything, you know, movies, TV shows, uh, speaking of TV shows, boy, if you haven't, if you have not been catching Da Vinci's Demons, I did it for Pick of the Week a little bit back. If you haven't been catching Da Vinci's Demons, you are missing out on a phenomenal, phenomenal show. I mean, just just top top drawer stuff. Uh, in fact, it has has plenty of sex in it. In fact, I was really Im- impressed with the la- with the latest episode where um, where uh, the Countess uh, or yeah, Countess. Medici, whatever <laughs> she, uh, you know, her husband's away, he's in jail and, uh, and this, this, uh, you know, this, this trader, a trader as in T R A D E R, um, is helping her out. And he's actually like kind of a bastard son of the Medici's, but he's black and, uh, you know, it's cool to have a black character there, of course. Um, but it was great because there's a point where she ends up fucking him. And they make it, it's a really subtle hint, but she gets this, like she, and the actress, kudos to her. She gets this look on her face, like she's taking, you know, a big black and, and I mean, it's a hint, but you catch it and like, like, like it's almost painful, you know? And I just go, I was like, wow, the director really captured that, uh, you know, that, that stereotype or that, uh, you know, whatever, how, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so phenomenal show, you know, really, really well produced. Anyway, that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about music this week because there's been a lot of albums that have come out, uh, in the past week, couple weeks that I uh, have been just amazing, really, really exciting. Uh, namely the first one being, uh, from one of my favorite bands of, of all time, uh, winger. In fact, I've hinted at, it. I said, look, there's a winger album coming out. You better believe when it comes out, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it. And so now I'm talking about it, but I'm going to talk about others too. Um, and though the new winger album, better days coming is amazing. Uh, just a, just a great, great album. Um, the, the first couple songs, really serious rockers. Uh, it's, it's different from their last album is might even be my favorite album that they've ever done, uh, next to winger two in the hearts of the young. Uh, but, uh, their last album, Karma had a, had a real good Motley Crue-esque feel to it. This one doesn't have that, but it, it's, it's still perfectly solid rock that they're pulling off. Um, kind of has the feel of winger three, which a lot of people that are serious winger fans, um, consider that winger's best album was actually winger three. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't agree with that assessment, but. I see the comparison and I enjoy the album. In fact, the, the first song on the album starts off with uh, playing the, the first track from Karma, which I thought was nice. This is kind of a nice play to uh, say, you know, this is the sequel to Karma and to hint uh, at really what I think they recognize, what Kip Winger, lead singer and you know main writer, recognizes as what was probably, 
you know, some of the best work they've ever done in their 30 year career um, or 25 year career. This is actually their 25th anniversary. Uh, so, you know, check that out. And in fact, check it out for free. If you go to SoundCloud, if you follow Winger on SoundCloud, and I hope you follow Sovereign Tech on SoundCloud too, but if you don't have to follow them on SoundCloud to use it, but give them a follow, come on. These guys are still producing great, great music. Um, on SoundCloud, you can listen to the entire Karma album. And I think you can listen to most of, if not all of the Better Days Coming album, totally for free on SoundCloud. Can't download it. Uh, well, I mean, not without like something, uh, uh, like, uh, no, now I can't think of the name of the software, <laughs> but there's software you can get, uh, that, that can allow you to download songs from, uh, you know, from, from SoundCloud. Anyway, um, the, you you can listen to it right there. So you don't even have to buy it. You know, they're, they're just saying here, you know, come on, come and enjoy our music. 25 years. Let's do this. Uh, and, and I think that's fantastic. That's a really great statement for a band to make. Um, and, and again, I just thought it was a great rocker. It's, it's the kind of music that doesn't really, uh, especially karma more so than better days coming, but they're sort of, you know, they're kind of like load and reload, right? Which I love those albums by Metallica, by the way, I know a lot of Metallica fans don't, but, um, they, you know, it's, it's kind of, they, they kind of, they're, they're brother and sister albums to some degree. And so they're good to enjoy overall, but overall they bring on that, that kind of rock that that's sort of missing where it's rock. That's about having a good time instead of wanting to shoot yourself. Uh, that, that a lot of metal today seems to sort of be about not all metal. There's plenty of great symphonic metal out there that, uh, you know, that, that, that'll blow your mind. Like, um, uh, not, not, not Nexus, uh, Wow, I'm drawing a blank on everything. <laughs> this is why I should have a computer in front of me, and I generally try try not to. Uh, Amaranth, Amaranth is the the band I was thinking of. They had an album called Nexus that was amazing. Uh, you know, and, and there's others. You know, certainly Nightwish is still doing great stuff. Tarja Tarunin is still doing great stuff. Uh, Within Temptation still comes out with great albums. Um, anyway, moving on to the next bit of business, I'm actually going to kind of reverse a bit in time. This isn't a new album, but it's new to me. I didn't know it came out and it came out in 2011 and it's called Rockaholic by Warrant. And this is an album with their new singer because of course, Janie Lane died. Uh, Warrant is well known, unfortunately for, you know, well, not unfortunately, I love the song cherry pie. I love, I saw red and, um, you know, Uncle Tom's Cabin, all those songs are great, great songs. Uh, but, you know, most people only know them for that, and they don't keep listening to the music that they kept producing over the past, you know, 20, 25 years. Um, but they have an album called Rockaholic, and you want to talk about metal that is all about having a good time, and it's all about sex. Uh, in fact, the first song on it is called Sex Ain't Love. Oh, man, this is as rocking as it gets. Uh, I mean, you can totally fuck to it if you want. It's it, it has that, that great beat. That's one of the things I love about 80s metal. It has the unfortunate name hair metal. But 80s metal, like it was really music that had that good under underlying bass to it that uh, that, that that was just, you know, gave you a great timing and motion for for having sex and just like the lyrics and everything was all about enjoying life and getting it on and uh it's it really tremendous and it's something that the music today by and large is really missing uh and i i even though a lot of people say that the music is all hyper sexualized uh i you know maybe the music videos are but certainly the music itself isn't uh except you know like the last hyper sexualized song i think i remember really hearing was uh britney spears three which is a great song 
you know, it's, it's all about having a threesome or even a foursome, uh, towards the end of the song. And, uh, you know, that, I think that's great, but, um, so the last album, so, so rockaholic warrant, we've got winger better days coming, uh, and maybe I'll get, maybe I'll get to, I've got a whole slew here that I wanted to get to, but I want to make sure this one gets announced. Uh, I've got an advanced copy of this, not going to say how, but this is amazing. Uh, Lindsey Sterling's, which I think Lindsey Sterling might've been the very first pick of the week. Can you believe that on Sovereign Tech? Uh, and this was before her first, her self-titled, her first album came out. But I think, I think she was the very first pick of the week I did. If she wasn't the first, she was definitely within the first five episodes. And, uh, this, this is, this is a, a, a woman who, I mean, she's like 28, uh, and some, I mean, she just appeals her music. She's a violinist. Okay. And she has a very unique dance style. She got really famous for doing a rendition of the, uh, of Koji Kondo's Legend of Zelda theme. Um, and, but I mean, she can really make her own music and she kind of mixes in some dubstep and all this. Uh, and, and it does a really, really great job. And, you know, it's amazing. The, the, the diversity of demographic that she reaches out to from young girls to fully, you know, adult males like myself, uh, you know, you, you name it. Uh, I mean, and you know, teenage guys, teenage girls, grown women. I mean, every demographic out there, it seems like she can really reach out to because her music is so epic and sometimes fun. And it really has a lot of feeling, uh, you know, with it. And she has a new album coming out called shatter me, uh, on the 29th, uh, April 29th, 2014, I think. So, but I got, a, I got a bit of an advanced copy and th- they're, all great songs. Every song on there is solid, just like on her self-titled. Uh, and if you haven't grabbed her self-titled album, go grab that. They actually did a special re-release of it where they put in some more heavily orchestrated uh, versions of their songs as well. And they were they were fantastic. But the song in particular that's really good, and I think you can check out the video right now, even if you don't have the album, uh, is is the, the title track, which is Shatter Me. And it kind of has sort of the same feel as one of her bigger songs, Crystallize, where it has this, uh, you know, it brings in a, a dubstep breakdown. But she did something unique. She brought in, and I like it when, when, like when solo guitarists do this, when they bring in, you know, guest vocalists and all that. Uh, kind of like when Ingve brought in JoLynn Turner and they did Paradise. Oh, man. <laughs> Wasn't that a hell of a song? Um, Anyway, uh, so she brings in Liz Hale from one of my favorite bands, uh, Hailstorm, which Hailstorm, if you haven't heard Hailstorm, please go check their work out, uh, especially their, their seminal song, Get Off, uh, and which actually Liz Hale has come right out and said, and this is one of the reasons I've always enjoyed the band, even if not every song was that great. Um, she came right out and said, I'm a libertine, you know. I don't really drink. I don't do all that bullshit, but I'm a libertine. And that was really, it really felt good to hear somebody else out there say that they're a libertine, that they're, you know, just proverbially societally considered sex crazed. Uh, and, you know, and they just want, you know, all these, all these social structures to kind of go away. Uh, it's really impressive to hear that, uh, especially, and, you know, and from a woman um, and obviously her brand of metal certainly leads to that. So it's kind of libertine metal, but anyway, she comes in and, you know, Lindsay Sterling says, Hey, yeah, you want it? You want to perform on the title track? Um, I wanted like a, you know, a female metal singer and Liz Hales is about as good as you can get. She's great. And the song she does with shatter me. I mean, it is phenomenal. Just a great, great tune. Great track. 
lot like there's there's not a bad track on the album and there's a lot of tracks i think there's something like 60 15 16 songs on there amazingly and they're they're all great uh but uh, but yeah ch- check out shatter me if you haven't checked out hailstorm i really wish they'd come out with a new album they've done a couple uh what they call i think reanimated albums where it's just just little eps you know a few songs where they redo like they they redid uh, monkey business by skid row classic song uh shoot to thrill by acdc and uh you know they, they have a, they have a lot of fun with that but i i boy i wish they'd come out with a a totally new album i think the last one was in 2011 they had miss hyde uh which great great name and definitely plays up the the libertine uh message but anyway thank you so much for listening please come back next week <laughs> i won't go too crazy uh and and check out all those albums and please donate to the show everything's in the show notes carpe lucem i will see you next week This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. Nerds.